Hi everyone, I'm Colby Orton. And I'm Frank Yamada. And we'd like to welcome you to another episode of Engaging in the Next, an original podcast from Association Briefings, where we talk about what's next for the association community when it comes to technology, Marcom strategy, people, membership, and money. Okay, Frank, I don't even want to ask, but I'm going to. Why do you have on a captain's hat? Oh, this old thing? I honestly didn't think you'd, you'd even notice, but uh, Kobe, I might have to put in some PTO because I may be leaving at the end of this episode for a, a spring break cruise to travel the high seas. Okay, so so tell me someone is not letting you drive a boat. Kobe, Kobe, don't be fooled by the legitimacy of my hat. <laughs> Why would I want to be locked away in a room steering a boat when I can be with the passengers? getting them excited every morning, hosting the talent show, and, and coordinating fun events as the, wait for it, cruise director. Nice trumpet sound. You know, every ship needs a captain. It's that someone within the organization who can consistently navigate through rough waters and avoid those pesky icebergs when they pop up. But to your point, Frank, equally as important is the cruise director. You know, the one that connects people from all over, finds new ways for them to collaborate, probably recommends good food and drink from time to time, and uh, maybe even teaches the electric slide on board. Is that is that dance still relevant? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> we'll move on then. <laughs> well, the good news is we have an awesome cruise director with us today. No offense, Frank. <laughs> Our guest is Dante Preciado. Vice President of Member Engagement and International Relations for the American Society for Nutrition. Dante is a seasoned professional with extensive experience managing publications and membership business models for nonprofit organizations targeting academic research institutions, government research institutes, corporations, and individuals worldwide. Well, Frank, we're going to talk about potential growth opportunities, combating burnout, member advocacy, and professional development. And, you know, fingers crossed, we might get some advice on personalized nutrition plans by the end of the show. All right. So we've got a lot to get to. So welcome to the podcast, Dante. Well, thank you, Colby, for welcoming. Yeah, we're excited for this conversation. I think we have a lot to talk about. So we'll start here. With ASN having more than 8,000 members in over 110 different countries, in your role, how do you connect and engage these members with each other? Well, the majority of our members are scientists, and these include primarily researchers, educators, and students. We also have a large number of our members who work in clinical practice, they work in advocacy, industry, health, and wellness. But as far as geographically, about two-thirds of our members are physically located in the U.S., and the remainder, one-third, are in other countries. And while our mission is to advance the science, education, and practice of nutrition, we also have a vision for a healthier world through evidence-based nutrition. So therefore, the global aspect is at the center of what we do. So being cognizant of this mission and vision, we have a mission to connect the U.S. scientists that are based here with their research and to a global audience. And uh, it, it's amazing how much of the same research is being done, not just here, but in other parts of the world. And oftentimes, they need to talk to each other so we see our role as a convener of this nutrition information research and practice in our publications, in our meetings, and in our educational activities. Uh, therefore, we're effectively able to connect and engage with our global audience. So this global audience has the most promising growth area for our society. 
I think that's a huge challenge for any association, particularly based in the U.S., that also has a lot of constituents overseas. So ASN is obviously doing a great job bringing those two together. So nice work. Thank you. Guys, I, th I think we can all agree that it's, it's really hard to please everyone. But in your opinion, Dante, how best can an association approach that goal, especially with members around the world? Uh, Frank, that's a great question. Um, here, here we know that we need to adapt our member communication strategy to be more of a multi-channel approach. And that's what worked well for us. It's not necessarily what is convenient for us, but it's really what's convenient for our members and where our members are located. We can connect with people, as you know, with our international audience. With that. It's not really a problem with our current telecommunications. However, communicating them in the real world, the real time, that's really the challenge because many of them are hours away, sometimes half a day away, 12 hours or more. I'm doing calls at night when people in Asia are just starting out. So in addition to email communications, we also use social media and our internal members-only community to communicate with our members. And uh, we even use, I mean, I use some of the lesser-known communication tools, such as WhatsApp, WeChat. Uh, oftentimes, we can't do interviews like this with them through the regular channels, so we have to use WeChat in China, or we have to use WhatsApp in Middle East, Asia, South Asia, Latin America, you name it. So again, the key is, it's not what's convenient for us, but it's what's convenient for them. I'm going to piggyback off that question just a little bit, because it seems like your eight-hour day is not an eight-hour day anymore, right? I mean, you're, how do you combat these longer hours without the burnout that we're seeing today with, with some association execs? That's a great question. So being more virtual, which obviously we, we all are nowadays, whether we like it or not, um, it's a great welcome change because now our working days is no longer eight to four, eight to five. Now it's eight to eight or eight to nine, but it also gives us the opportunity to take breaks within the day. Anybody who has a family and anybody who is a parent, I'm sure can appreciate their meetings in school that go on during the day, their activities and things that you can take time off. Or if you want to go to the gym in the middle of the day, you know, you just adjust your day. I think the output is higher because now you're more motivated to work. And therefore, in the case of our members, we're able to communicate with them in their terms on their time zones. And we're still able to keep that family life balance, which is so important. Doesn't necessarily work for everyone, but I know it works for us. And as far as uh, on a more personal note for us uh, with ASN is we made the decision to uh, remain remote. And that's a decision that's been made. Uh, we do have an office. We still have a physical office. I go there once a month. But really, I find I'm more productive being from home because I can really manage my time better. And key is for burnout is you got to manage your time. I mean, you still need to have the same output. Just because you have a longer day does not mean you need to be working every minute of every hour of the day. And that's where you need to be able to disconnect and have some quality time. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice. I think we all need to to take that in from time to time. So... You know, based on what you've already kind of said to us today and based on what we talked about during our pre-show conversation, I believe wholeheartedly that the ASN team does a great job engaging members and keeping them happy, which certainly helps with overall member retention. I'm sure these members become an active voice for recruitment efforts for you guys as well. What's the importance of member advocacy and how is ASN using it to promote the association? I'm going to answer this question two ways. One is our culture. It really boils down from our CEO down to our C-suite manager and to all of our staff that we need to be able to communicate with them effectively. And in order to do that, 
We use whatever tools we have because in the end, our members are why we exist and they are our advocates. And the second part of that is our advocates, our members are really important in multiple levels. They help us grow our membership and advance our mission. And a large part of what we do is aimed towards that younger demographic, our students, our early career professional. That's really the future of the field. We still need to be aware and, and cognizant of the fact that our more seasoned members, our mid-career, our late-career, our emeritus members, they're the ones who are more influential in the field. Uh, we use testimonials from our younger members to show how they see the future of the field and how the American Society for Nutrition has helped them with their own careers and professional development. But as I said, the real influencers are our older members. They are the ones who recommend society to their students, to their colleagues. Therefore, we use our younger members to show progress, and we use our older members as a key opinion leaders because of the experience, name recognition, and respect by others. So in, in the end, these are all our partners more so than our members. Going to your, your younger members, your students, what do you see as one of the largest challenges in engaging those professionals, particularly you know overseas as well? I, I would think that that would broaden the challenge a bit as well. Um, so let me address that two ways. One is first, the younger demographic. For them, it's all about career advancement. You know, they're trying to get to the next job. So our job is to give them whatever tools we can give them to help them be better prepared. So with our younger demographic, rather than focusing on science, which they get anyways, with our meeting and other activities, our professional development activities take precedence. I mean, they're the ones who lead them into how to interview, how to improve their curriculum, how to um, seek grants in the case of scientists for so any grant funding. So it really focuses on their professional development. In the end, we want their experience to be how to get to their next job, to their next career. Whereas with our other members, it's different. Now for our international members, they all want to come to the U.S. They all want to be, not necessarily stay here, but they want to be educated here because a degree from the U.S. institution is worth a lot more to them when they go back to their home country than it does if it's a local degree for them. So to them, we want to engage them and connect them with other members who are based in the U.S. And that could be members like them, students, so they network with them, or it could be professors who can counsel them and advise them and guide them. And they're the ones, you know, hopefully they're able to afford to come and get scholarships and all that. But a lot of what we do is connecting them with the U.S. counterparts. So in your opinion, what are the top three growth opportunities you see for an association? Well, this all depends on the makeup of the organization. In our case, because you know we are a global community, global is our expansion number one. For example, in the US, we are a fairly mature market. In Europe, they have terrific societies like us, our equivalent societies there. So that's all great. In the Middle East, they don't have a society like us. So they need us for that. And the good news about the Middle East is they have money. And it, you know, we, we need to, we're nonprofit, but we're all stop for loss. So then we have Asia, we have Africa or South Asia and Southeast Asia, Africa, Latin America, where there's little money developing world, but there's a great need. So our mission changes no matter what, because it, we go back to what we're here to do, which is provide science, knowledge, and really fostering the growth of what we do. So with that in mind, global is our number one growth opportunity. The second one is minority-serving institutions, be it historically black uh, colleges and universities, uh, 
Hispanic serving institutions, Native American serving institutions. Those are all great organizations that we can support because what happens is we don't want this to be a organization where it's just established by people who look like me, who act like me, who went to the same schools that I did, but we want this to be inclusive of all our diversity, equity, and inclusion. So that's very important to us as part of our mission. Uh, we are about to celebrate our 100th anniversary in 2028, so we want to make sure that we can speak to that as part of our core activity, being recognizing of what we call IDEA. So IDEA stands for uh, inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. So those are all very important concepts to us, and we see that as a growth opportunity. The third area is clinical. There we see our practitioners. We see our dietitians. We see people who work in health and awareness. Uh, we have nurse practitioners, physician associates. They're individuals who have a need for translated nutritional content. So they're not interested necessarily in the studies and the research, but they want to know, how do I apply this to my patients? How do I apply this in my clinical care? So to them, we have an opportunity to provide translational content, which they need. And Dante, your society has had a lot of great success and, and member retention. You know, what's your secret? Yeah, I, I wish I knew it was. Uh, but then I, we actually recently took a look at this and, and we call it, what is our secret sauce? So what's ingredients that we have? So, so really our, our, our goals are and objectives when we do this are to engage, to retain, and to renew. So we want to make sure that we are delivering good benefits to our members. And we want to make sure that we continue to do what is right for our core. The main reason why we exist are scientists and our researchers. We also want to recruit, expand, and grow. So we target our individuals who work with these core members that I just mentioned. And what do they need? So what do they need to support this? So it, so it really goes down to that, what we were talking about earlier about using advocates. Well, these are our advocates, and these are the ones who they advocate to. The next things we do are we look at our membership categories to make sure they're relevant. To us, it's important to make sure that we have benefits that our, our members want or need. So we do ask them, what can we do as ASN to provide you that you don't already get? Or what do you get from other associations that you could get otherwise? And then the last one is, you know, developing strategic growth for different groups. We just talked about some of our growth areas and initiatives. Well, that goes beyond that because now, what are the needs of going back to our core members? And we need more recognition. So we realize we need more recognitions, whether it's awards, leadership opportunities, fellowships, things that they want and need. So we are very much in tune with what their needs are. So these needs analysis that we do every so often uh, annually are really the way we look at where should we go as far as directions. So that's really the secret to the sauce that we have. Well, thanks for that recipe. Please don't spread it out, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's going to hear this, Dante. <laughs> the Society's 2020 annual conference was virtual due to the pandemic like many other associations events, but instead of charging members for access, the event was free. Can you share the society's you know, process to making that decision as well as the results of the conference? Yeah, so we had the challenge, like everybody did. You had this in-person meeting that you had planned in the middle of the year. We had something called a pandemic that came about. And so therefore, we needed to stop. We needed to look at what we had. Um, some people call it pivoting. So we did a lot of pivoting. And what we did was we started to look at technologies that could continue. So, so the options were, of course, cancel the meeting, postpone the meeting, or move to a different format. We decided option three. Um, the reason why is because it's hard to get scientists to come together one time of the year. So postponing it would not guarantee that we would have the same output. 
canceling, you know, that would have been a huge loss, not just in terms of money, but opportunity to reach these scientists, these members. So we went with the option to look at technology. And at that point, uh, we were starting to use technologies like Zoom and other technologies for teleconferencing. So we saw that as an opportunity and we had a, a membership management system that allowed us to convert. So we, we created this fictitious member group called Meeting Attendee. And so when people registered, they became meeting attendee. So then content was delivered to that member category. So we figure, okay, if we, if we end up with the same amount of registrants this year as we did in years past, that's a win, right? So normally we have about 3,500 attendees for our meeting. So 3,500, that's a win. Well, I remember we had a poll in the office and how many people are going to come in? Some people said 2,000, some people said 1,800, some people said 3,000, 3,500. Somebody went as high as 5,000, like 5,000, we're never going to reach that. Well, we reached 30,000. So everybody lost, which is good. This, so with that in mind, the next challenge was, okay, so now we didn't invest any additional money into technology, except we had to expand our Zoom license. We didn't expand a new AMS or association management system for this because we already used what we had. We were using existing staff resources. So again, really minimal expense there. But what we did do is we put a little line in there that said, hey, would you like to donate to the ASN Foundation and foster the education of the future of the science, so young scientists and up and coming. So out of that, we got about 60,000 in donations, which is great because those things were utilized in future years for scholarships and otherwise, awards. And that was a great effort because now, not only did we have a meeting that it was attended by eight times the amount of people, because now we have 30,000 attendees, but we had this prospect list, so it was huge. You know, we had a prospect list of about 27,000 new people that we had never touched before. So now, going forward into 21 and 22, and even 23, now we have these prospects that we know are interested in our content, but they just never attended our meeting before. So it, it really worked well to our advantage. So, you know, it's like you make the most of what you have. And, and I know not everybody was as successful as we were. In our case, we were fortunate more than anything in that we did the right things, and that's where we went. Now, can we keep that growth going? That's really the challenge. So what can we expect for the next events? And that's really the challenge. So this year, it really is our first year going back to in-person. So what can we expect? No one knows. I mean, we are, again, being very conservative, and we have a, um, a conservative-sized meeting call and we'll be very happy if we reach our pre-pandemic levels. I mean, that would be a win for us. But I, my goal, and, and I think everybody's goal in my organization, is to get more people than that. Because then I want to see my, my meetings people going crazy, pulling their hair, because we can't fit that many people. So I want to make sure that we can exceed these goals. So we'll see. We know people are excited. They want to meet in person. They want to see. They want to network people. You know, we're human beings. We want to touch things. We want to touch people. And we're hoping for great things. And going forward, I think the meeting is, is going to change back to an in-person meeting. We do have these tools that enable us to be remote, like you and I are doing right now. Really, it's, it's something that we, at least scientists, they want to network in person. It's great to do it over the phone. It's great to do it virtually. I mean, Frank, I haven't seen you in a while, but it's great to see you this way, but it's not see. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, being in person, you really can't beat that. Dante, it's, it's an industry that I'm really curious about. And if you can give us a glimpse into the industry, can you explain what personalized nutrition is? That's a great question because I'm learning this myself. Um, personalized nutrition, we also call it precision nutrition. 
it's an area of great interest for our scientists and clinician members. And even the U.S. government is taking an active interest. I'm not expecting to keep up with the nutrition news, but there's investment and in, in funding going to that area. So the focus is very different than what we do in our traditional nutrition guidelines, which those provide recommendations for populations. So personal nutrition really is more for the individuals rather than for the groups. So in the end, I think most of us, maybe all of us, consume at least three meals a day. Some of us, maybe more than three, and some of you, maybe less than three. But anyways, the whole point of it is that we know what we consume, but do we really know what we consume and how it will lead us to our optimal output nutritionally? So as an example, there, there are several nutrition studies that have shown that the average person that eats more vegetables, eats more whole grains and lean proteins, and they still eat less processed foods or made with things were made with added sugars or salt can reduce the risk of various diseases, right? Well, studies that focus on individual responses to food have also found that substantial variations in blood responses to glucose and triglycerides, even individuals are eating identical meals. So what does that mean? Well, then your sugar, you know, you're diabetic, you're not diabetic, you, you, we all process things differently. So really, there is more to come. Good to know, and I'm, I'm definitely excited to learn more. It's very interesting. It's interesting. And again, this is taking a lot of notice from, from our members, from the U.S. government, from agencies, because it shows that as much commonalities as you have, like the three of us are men, Frank, Colby, and myself, and we probably eat somewhat the same caloric intake and we exercise and we do things. Well, how our food processing is done differently that's really what the key is. So yes, it will all lead us to to live healthier lives, longer lives, and and be in better health overall. But how how come you know Frank suffers from this and I suffer from that, and and Colby's healthy as can be? Hopefully, the missing part that personalized nutrition will help us all. Excellent. We definitely appreciate those insights. Thanks, Dante. Uh, we we really appreciate you being part of uh, today's conversation. Yeah, this is very exciting. I'm happy to be, to be here with you guys. Excellent. Well, we're not done with you yet. We'd like, to, uh, we'd like to put you in the hot seat one last time for the final segment we like to call the Briefings Minute. We're going to fire off a series of questions just to learn a little bit more about you. So give us the first answer that comes to mind. You ready? All right. Well, here we go. So Dante, if you owned a coffee shop or bar, what would you name it? Dante's Inferno. Love it. Dante, you recently celebrated a birthday. Happy belated birthday. Thank you. Now, if you could make a wish that can come true when you blew out birthday candles, what would it be? To keep where I am right now going for a longer time than it's going to last. So would you rather sit in a car in traffic for four hours with the same song playing or have a flight delay for three hours at an airport with no restaurants or TV? Um, it's an easy question. That's a matter of a choice. If I, if I really have a song that I like, um, uh, yesterday was a rainy day here in DC area. I was in the car for about two hours coming back from DC to home because I was away and I enjoyed myself thoroughly. So I look further to that than that flight today. Follow up, what, what song would you listen to for four hours? You know, it was a combination of things. <laughs> but I, I guess it wasn't one song, but it was one station. And it was just music from the 80s that, that bring me back to when I was youthful and happy and good looking. <laughs> Can't go wrong with the 80s. True story, Dante. You were very helpful in explaining the process of picking out an engagement ring for my fiance when I had no clue what I was doing. What tips could you share for someone in that ring buying situation today? 
talk to a friend. Do not talk to the store. <laughs> store is just going to sell you what they want you to buy. In Frank's case, he knew what he wanted, but he didn't know how to ask. Whatever he got was going to be perfect for her because it came from the heart. So it was something that he decided on himself. And yes, he did consult with a jeweler, but only after he educated himself about different things that he wanted to have in that ring and what it meant to him. Frank's such a romantic. I tell you, he's like one of those romantics and I, I just I just bought all, all of it because he was doing so well. Guys, <laughs> I'm blushing over here. <laughs> if you could have tickets to any show or event and invite as many people as you would like, what would you see? The World Cup next uh, in the U.S. when they're here. Yes. No, for those of you who don't know what the World Cup is, the World Cup of Soccer. <laughs> Not hockey, everyone. The World Cup of Soccer. <laughs> make, make sure we get the invite to that one. I, I wouldn't mind seeing it as well. Well, I thought you were asking me a question because you're looking to buy me tickets. <laughs> <laughs> you answered correctly. <laughs> you've traveled to a ton of countries, you've seen many landmarks. Which landmark in particular was the most impressive for you? You know, every country has its own beauty. And one of the things you, you learn, at least I've learned, is to not look at things the way you look at your own things. So here in the U.S., you see a lot of order, you see a lot of people following directions, you see a lot of cleanliness, at least in where I live. And oftentimes when you travel, you see not so pretty sites or you see a lot of poverty or you see things that are much better than where we live and you're like wow i wish i could live here but anyway so the point of it is how you view things is not so much the sites but in the end it's the people and people are nice no matter where you are take time to meet people take time to interact with the locals ask them about what they like what they don't like ask them about you know their, their day and it's as simple as that a smile gets you much more than a dollar Love that answer. So last question, if you didn't work in the association world, what would your ideal dream job be? That's a great question. Um, I'm an idealist. So the reason why I work in the society world is because they're idealists. They're people who want to make the world a better place to live. So I'm proud to say that I support thousands of individuals who live to make this a better place. And if I wasn't doing that, if I was able to afford it, I would do more philanthropy, I would do more volunteering, I would do more to fulfill. However, you asked the question about work, and work implies pay. And uh, it really is, you know, we work as hard as we do, and the three of us, I think, are very successful because we work hard. Things were not given to us necessarily. So what do we do? Well, you try to make your passion and what you like, and then you hopefully will find a field that feeds to that and pays the bills. Well, Dante, that's the buzzer. Thanks again for joining us today. Well, thanks, guys. Frank, it's great to see you always. And Colby, you know, I've met you recently, but you seem like a really nice guy. So I'm very happy to be here. Thank I, you. I, I try the best I can. It sounds great. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of Engaging in the Next. Join us each month as we discuss trends that impact what's next in the association world. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you'd like more information about association briefings and how we can help your association to produce a podcast or a unique data-driven newsletter, be sure to visit us online at associationbriefings.com. See you next time.